We read from Holy Scripture this evening in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, we will begin reading with verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance in supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord shall make known to you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Our text this evening is verses 14 through 17. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, by way of introduction, I will remind you of a few things that we considered when last we preached from this section in Ephesians 6. The first being that this section is all related, the matters and the exhortations that are brought up all stand together 
and that's evident when one exhortation follows the other, and even the one we consider this evening about putting on the armor of God is related to the previous exhortation, which is then repeated even in our text itself, to stand, to stand in the great battle of faith. What unites all these exhortations is that they are really one final exhortation of the Apostle to the church. Finally, he writes in verse 10, finally, my brethren, and then he gives them what he wants them to hear as his final word from the Spirit to them. We noticed previously although a while back, that this final exhortation is related to what the church is. The church is the body and it is the bride of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, chiefly that we are chosen, redeemed, and delivered from all the bondage of sin and of death. Because of that, because we are both the body and bride of our Lord Jesus Christ, as well as the fact that our salvation is a deliverance from a bondage, from enemies, sin and death, that necessarily means, therefore, that there are certain spiritual powers that are our enemies. They are our enemies because they are the enemies of our head. They attack the head and therefore they attack the body. These enemies are the very enemies from which we have been delivered, sin and death. And this battle is part of that deliverance. The ongoing deliverance of the church from sin and death. Also implied by the fact that we are the body of Jesus Christ, even using that metaphor, there is a battle for the church as that body. And even, as we see here tonight, the taking of armor by that body and the taking up of weapons by that body to fight on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head. These things found in this passage, of course, are also related to the purpose of God in revealing this great mystery of the gospel in our Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul himself acknowledges near the end of this section. And it's related also to our main calling with which the Apostle began this entire last section of the book of Ephesians, where he began what we often call the practical section, telling us that our calling is, because of who and what we are, to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And then further explains that vocation to be walking as followers of God. Followers of God as dear children. So we have a vocation. Our vocation is to follow God. And therefore, because of that, again, there is a battle. There are enemies. We must stand in that battle. And as we see tonight, we must also wear 
the armor of God. Wearing the armor of God is what we consider tonight, what that is, how it is, and why. The child of God, not only here in the passage, but indeed the entire church, is called here to put on or to wear the armor of God. We want to point that out at the outset. That indeed, the Apostle is speaking to each of us individually, and that is how this passage is often applied. But often overlooked is that the Apostle is speaking unto us as a unity, as a church. He addresses us as brethren. Talks about what we do. The battle we are engaged in and therefore the armor that we need to put on. That's worth remembering, especially when you consider that the Apostle here is referring to one single complete protection and weaponry that are necessary for us to wear and to use in this great battle of the ages that was described earlier in this section. The Apostle here is using a figure. A figure drawn from contemporary culture and a figure about which the church at Ephesus would be very familiar with. They being a Roman colony they being even a place where there were large number of Roman soldiers that were quartered, would have known the figure that the Apostle is alluding to, which is the armor that was worn by the Roman army. Of course, again, according to figure, worn by every single individual member. Every member in the Roman army wore this armor. And together they went into battle, and thus the entire army, the legions, were unified with one armor. It's worth noting that the apostle here is showing himself a good teacher and doing what is necessary yet even today, and something that he himself does frequently, which is... He teaches spiritual realities and truths, drawing not simply from earthly pictures, but very familiar earthly pictures because they belong to our contemporary culture. That's worth pointing out. The armor that the Apostle is speaking of here in a spiritual sense has its physical component. And that consisted of basically six pieces of armor and or weaponry. Five of them are primarily defensive. Defensive, or we might say protective pieces, which is why the whole is referred to as armor, even though there is listed among the armor one particular offensive weapon. There was in the first place what the Romans or 
the church at Ephesus would have known to be the Baltia, the Baltia, which was a metal girdle that was hung from a wide leather belt that went around the waist, and this metal joined with leather girdle went around the thighs, hung down and protected the thighs and the genitals of the Roman soldier. There was next what they would have known to be called the lorica. The lorica was a large metal formed breastplate that went over the chest and over the stomach to protect the vital organs of the Roman soldier. There was next what was known as the caligae, which were the pair of shoes or sandals that every Roman soldier wore. Striking that they are mentioned because we wouldn't think of those being an important part of battle. And yet, if you would research Roman history and the history of their wars and their conquering, you would notice that there is almost universal agreement that these thick-soled, light leather sandals that the Roman soldiers wore played a decisive role in their winning of many battles. As we're going to see, they were footwear that allowed them on the one hand to stand, to mark a spot in the dirt, and to stand there and fight, while at the same time being able to freely and fast fastly a maneuver and change position to even retreat if that was necessary. There was in the fourth place what's called the shield here. The Romans would have known it as the scutum. The scutum. A metal shield. A large, what was later a rounded yet rectangular shaped shield that was strapped onto the arm and also was very important in Roman warfare. These shields could be linked up together to form large and impregnable barriers, could be used to push soldiers out of the way together to protect when raised over their heads from falling debris and rocks rained down upon them. But also, Roman soldiers were known well for using even that shield as an offensive weapon to hit and to strike. It was made for that purpose. Lastly, as regarded defensive or protective armor, there was the helmet, or what the Romans would have known to be the cassis, large metal structure to put over the head that protected the ears, often the nose and the back of the neck, and protected that vital part of the human anatomy, the head and the brain. As I said, there was one weapon that is mentioned here, but that too may be seen as serving a useful purpose. And that was the short sword, short sword that the Romans were known for what was known as the gladius. Hence, we get the name the gladiator. The man in the arena who wielded the gladius. This short sword 
that was used not only to strike and to thrust very quickly, but also could be used to ward off spears and lighter swords. This is the armor that the Apostle mentions, and he mentions it not simply because it was well known, but it was well regarded. All who lived, both friend and foe alike, knew that this armor and those weapons played a critical role in the conquering of the world by the Roman soldiers. It was effective armor. By equipping its soldiers with that armor and that short sword, the legions had gone forth to the ends of the world conquering mighty nations and very strong, even more multitudinous in number, armies of nations and peoples. And so they ruled the world. Although this armor consisted of essentially six individual parts, defensive and offensive, the emphasis of the passage is upon the complete package. And it looks at it as one whole. That's brought out when twice it's called the whole armor. Verses 11 and 13 describe it thus. The idea is that all Roman soldiers were equipped with a minimum of these six pieces. Sometimes there were others like what were called the greaves that went uh, over the shins and protected them and other pieces of weaponry like spears. But these were the basic six components of the Roman soldier. And the idea is that they were meant to work as an organic and harmonious whole. The idea is that lacking one, even lacking one piece, being without the helmet or perhaps the sandals, a particular soldier was vulnerable. And furthermore, the idea was if that soldier himself was vulnerable, if there was in the wall of shields one shield missing, then the whole line, the whole squadron, thus the whole legion, and thus the entire army was vulnerable because of that missing component. The emphasis upon the wholeness or completeness is also brought out by the use of the definite article. It refers to it as the whole armor of God. Here's where we see in particular that in biblical language there really is in the end only one armor and one set of weaponry and that is God's. To be sure, the Apostle is alluding to well-known realities in contemporary culture and in the Roman soldier's world. But the point of the Apostle by referring to the whole armor of God is those weapons and those pieces of armor are nothing compared to the reality in fact, the idea is that there's only these earthly pictures because there is in a spiritual realm, another realm, another set of armor and weaponry. The armor of God. It is far better. It is more protective. It is more effective in 
its defense and in its offense in the battlefield. And the reason is, it's God's armor. It is the whole armor of God. That it is armor engineered by God for a specific task. Even as Roman armor was engineered to protect certain vitals and to fit a certain way, to allow freedom of movement, to allow speed, to allow endurance, so also is this armor that the Apostle talks about engineered by God. It's built by God. It's provided by God. It's God's armor. And therefore, armor that's only to be used in the service of God, in the battles of God, and used in the manner that God dictates. Even as Roman soldiers were trained well on how to put on their armor, as well as to use it effectively, so also God does these things with regard to His armor. Even more stunning when the Apostle refers to this armor as the armor of God is that he is indicating that this armor essentially consists of God Himself. If one looks very carefully at this armor, the idea isn't really even that these are separate things and existences apart from God. Over here there's God and then over there there's armor. But the idea is that they consist of the works and the virtues and the gifts of God, the power of God. That's awful evident when later on he even describes the sword of the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. So on the one hand, it can be called the sword of the Word of God. So there is this sword. This sword is actually the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. And then goes on to refer to it as the sword of the Spirit. That is, the sword which is the Spirit. Amazing, amazing things the Apostle is bringing out in this passage. And that is where it's worth remembering that this is therefore spiritual armor in a spiritual warfare. This is... Armor and weaponry designed by God who is the Spirit and who has engineered and built it and given it over for a spiritual battle. Christians today are extremely foolish when they suppose that they can conduct warfare in the name of God, warfare in the name of Christ by stockpiling machine guns and nine millimeters and building bunkers and stockpiling beans. Such Christians are foolish. Such armor, such protection, such stockpiling, such planning cannot win, cannot be helpful at all in a spiritual battle because they are physical things. Such Christians read reminded of what Jesus Himself said to His faithful warrior Peter who thought he could win the battles of our Lord Jesus Christ by drawing a sword. And Jesus told him to put away that sword. It's useless. It's useless in this battle. This armor and the weaponry described here by the Apostle is equally well known to every child of God. Not only is a Christian foolish, 
when he believes he can engage in the battle that the apostle is talking about, the real battle that matters, with nine millimeter bullets and knives and running around with contemporary military gear, not only is he foolish, but he shows himself to be completely ignorant of what he should know. Even as if, even if, as if you would, if living in the Roman world, know all about this physical armor being described. So as a child of God, we all know what he's talking about here. When the apostle says, take upon you this armor and girt yourself about with truth, child of God says, ah yes, I know. I know what truth is. Or put on the breastplate of righteousness. He can say, oh yeah, I know what that is. Knows what it looks like. Knows what it is, even as a Roman would back in that day with regard to Roman warfare. This weaponry and this armor has shown itself throughout time and history to be what a child of God needs. And the idea is all that he needs. We're reminded of that, for example, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 32, verses 34, that came to mind, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through using physical swords and spears and other such implements, won their battles, even though in the Old Testament that was true? No. Who through faith subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in the fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Keep that passage in mind when we further explain this. Now, as to more particulars, the baltia, that girdle that went around the loins to protect the Roman soldiers, is likened to the truth. Girt your loins with the truth. The truth is right and good knowledge of God. It includes the reality about man, about sin, about salvation. It includes everything that we find here in the Holy Scriptures. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And the Spirit of truth is the antithesis of the Spirit of error. We can only know or fellowship with God by knowing the truth. This is why one of, it's one of the main weapons and perhaps even mentioned first. How does our enemy fight? How does the devil fight? And the answer is, he spreads lies. And so it's important that one be girded about with the truth as a protection. What about the lorica, the breastplate? The Apostle says that's righteousness. Around our loins is truth. Around our body, especially our chest, protecting our spiritual vitals 
is righteousness. That is, our legal standing before God that is right and that is true, that is good. It is our standing before God whereby God says of us, approved, not guilty, one who has perfectly fulfilled all of my commandments and done no evil whatsoever. The Apostle here is referring to, at least in the first place, what we often call justification. Justification is not some legal term that might be good to know, but it's part of the very armor that the child of God puts on. It's also possible that the Apostle is also referring to righteousness as sanctification. Sometimes that's not the case in Scripture, but it's very possible that the Apostle here is talking about what we often refer to rather as holiness. That is, the actual walking according to the commandments of God so that they truly do accord with His law. Not perfectly, but they do. Whether it does or not is somewhat irrelevant. The Apostle is saying that these great gifts of the Spirit, these great gifts of Christ's salvation, are of real value. They aren't simply something given to us to admire or look at, but they're an actual part of our life that serves as our defense. It protects us. There are those sandals, feet shod. What does the Apostle say is what we should put on our feet? What he calls the preparation of the Gospel. Really refers to the effect of the Gospel to prepare us in our life for the battles ahead. He's talking about the preparation of us. The preparing of each and every child of God by that Gospel for His work, for His calling, for His future, for everything that He is and will be. Refers especially to peace, the gospel of peace. The gospel brings to us peace, causes to live a life of peace. And we, of course, may, along with scripture, include with that often, which goes together, hope and courage. The gospel gives a child of God hope, gives to a child of God courage or strength. That's what the gospel of reconciliation gives. Notice how that follows righteousness. That one is reconciled to God because his sins have been paid for by the blood of the Lamb so that he stands before God as righteous. Then he is prepared. He is given grace. He is given peace. He is given hope. He is given courage for his life. That gospel enables him to firmly stand in place against the slashing wounds of suffering and trials. The scutum, the shield, what's that? Faith. The shield of faith. He's specifically talking now here about the exercise of faith the activity of faith, what we call believing. That's what he's referring to. That's somewhat evident because he goes on to talk about the object of faith, which is the Word of God, the sword. 
Interesting here that the two things that in the Roman army were used both offensively and defensively are two related spiritual things. Faith. Faith both as to its subject, the shield, the activity of faith, believing, and then the object of faith, what faith believes in, and in the case of the sword, it's the Word of God. And this, the Apostle indicates, is the most important of all, above all, put on the shield of faith. That's interesting. You might look at some of these other things and say, well, those are indispensable. I need those. Yes, that's true. But when the Apostle says, above all, make sure you have the shield of faith, not really even the sword of the Spirit, which is amazing, the Apostle's indicating, the Spirit's indicating something. And what is it? Well, number one, this is our primary protection. When one talks about the truth, the truth, putting on the truth, girding your loins about with truth, where is that truth found? Where does one see that truth or find that truth? How does one know that truth? And the answer is only by faith. How does one know or understand righteousness? How does one know that he is righteous before God? And the answer is he receives it by faith. How is the gospel of peace of any benefit for the child of God? How can he have those sandals or those lightweight shoes? And the answer is again, by faith. So the apostle says, above all, make sure you have the shield of faith. And perhaps the Apostle links faith to that shield, surprisingly not the sword, because that was a considerable, considerable component in the armor and weaponry of the Roman soldier. Again, if you study history, you see how useful those shields were. They were used to hit, they were used to move out of the way, they were used for protection, they were used to sleep on. Soldiers were carried off of the battlefield on their shields. Amazingly, then, they are equated here with faith. Then there is the helmet. The helmet, the Apostle says, is salvation. Salvation itself. If you look at the comparison, if you compare the list of armor that's found here with that of 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, you will be helped in understanding what the Apostle means by the helmet of salvation. How does one put on salvation? And what does salvation do? In 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle expands on it a bit and he calls it the hope of salvation. And that too builds off what we said earlier when we talked about the gospel of peace, and we said hope goes along with that, and courage does. Well, that's why it has its separate piece of armor. The idea is that salvation comes with hope. We have hope in our salvation, and that hope is powerful, that hope is mighty, that hope is protection. It guards the child of God. Faith like hope is something by which the child of God lives and without which hope he is in despair. He is in despondency. He falls in the day of battle. 
And interesting too that it's hope here that protects the head. He doesn't assign salvation and the hope of salvation to the feet or to the shins or to the thighs or even the breastplate, but the most important and vital organ of all, which is the head. Shows that the warfare in which the child of God is engaged has to do with his head, requires the head, requires the understanding. The understanding that's found. And if you ask why that is, one could even proceed further and point out, well, faith, you know, is knowledge. It's a certain knowledge. And the idea is that knowledge is in our head. And it needs to be protected. It needs to be kept. What keeps a child of God from despair and what keeps him from being without courage and failing? And the answer is hope. Hope for good in the future. Hope in the salvation that God has wrought, in the perfection and the carrying out of that salvation in time and history. And then finally, the last is the sword of the Word of God. The one thing that is most closely identified with being a weapon, that which is the source of truth, that which teaches us about our righteousness, that wherein we find the Holy Gospel, that which is the content of faith, that which sets forth the hope of our salvation, so that it is the chief means of grace, namely preaching that Word. This shows that the warfare in which the child of God is engaged is not exclusively defensive. Oh, the Spirit here is pointing out something very important. And that is, in this warfare, the child of God does often strike a defensive position. The arrows are flying, the spears are flying, the swords are slashing, and so great are they that we need a number of pieces of armor. There's many vitals to protect. But it also requires an offense. One cannot engage in this battle simply defensively. The idea being if one simply strikes a completely defensive position, then he will be slaughtered. He will not stand. One must stand also slashing and jabbing with a sword. And that sword is simply the Word of God. The child of God does not go into battle with his own words. He does not go into battle even with the words of any man, no matter how holy that man might be. He goes into battle with God's Word, with the truth of God's Word, with the righteousness of God's Word, with the faith of God's Word. And even though there are times the child of God might say to himself, this weapon is worthless. What is this short, stubby little sword going to do against a 25-foot spear? Or what can I do with this short, stubby little sword against that massive, massive man in his weaponry who's facing me? But never fear, the child of God who has the Word of God in his hand wins victories and battles. And the army of God that has the Word of God is unstoppable. Now, how do we wear the armor of God? And the Apostle says simply this, Take it unto you. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. 
And we might ask what this means. What is the Apostle getting at? Because we also understand from a very real point of view of the child of God has this armor. He's given faith. Faith is implanted into him. What do you mean? Put it on. Is not the child of God saved? Why does he have to put on a helmet of salvation? Do we not have the Word of God? How do we put it on, therefore? Well, those are good questions. And yet the passage gives this the emphasis. It's repeated. Put on the whole armor of God. Take unto you the whole armor of God. Now why is the Spirit emphasizing that? It's emphasizing it. And again, we can be very much helped here if we think about a Roman soldier. Was the Roman soldier born with that armor and that weapon? No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. It had to be given to him. It had to be provided to him. He didn't have it naturally. And then if you think again about a Roman soldier, what would happen if you would simply take some man off the tree, throw some armor on him, hand him a sword, and then push him into battle? He'd get slaughtered. He hasn't been trained. He doesn't know how to use it. He knows some things generally about it, but he hasn't been equipped as he should be. The Apostle has that in mind. There's a certain amount of expertise and knowledge and understanding that we have with regard to these. There's training involved. That's what he means. Think also about the Roman soldier. And that is, you have to imagine him sitting in his camp, around the campfire before he goes to bed at night. His sword is put away. His armor is taken off. He does not sleep in it. Nevertheless, when the battle horn cries, it's the first thing he grabs and he touches. He does not run. He does not take a step until he has it in his hands. And that's what the Spirit is emphasizing to us spiritually. There's an implied warning here. Our salvation is of grace. It is all supplied and given by God. But do not imagine for a moment that it does not involve battle and warfare on your part. That it implies laziness or an attitude of, I do nothing. Whether there's victory or not has little to do with me. My calling is just to sit around perhaps maybe and watch it all happen. There's already a helmet on my head and a shield on my arm. And in some way and in some manner, by God's providence, they'll be in the right place at the right time and protect me. The Spirit is warning very strenuously against such an attitude in the Christian life. Such an attitude in the Christian life leads to disaster and wounds, and in some cases even death. More specifically, what the Apostle or the Holy Spirit means here is that it is to be taken on and put on by faith in God who provides it, who engineered it, who gives it to us for that person. One has to remember here what's going on. It is the great armorer, our Lord Jesus Christ, who stands there with a shield and a sword and a helmet and a breastplate and says, Here, son! Here, daughter! Put these on! They're what you need. And then the child of God does that by faith. He must believe and therefore have confidence. He must know what these things are and have confidence that they are what he needs. That an earthly sword will do no good, but the sword of the Word of the Lord is what he needs in his hand. 
That's what he's talking about more generally. He must love it for its own qualities as the armor and weaponry of God. It is basically to have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, in His Word, in His righteousness, in His salvation, and hope in Him. He's the one by whom God provides this armor, gives this armor, engineers this armor. That was really His work. Wonderful thing really to think about it. Imagining the labor of our Lord Jesus Christ from that perspective. It was the labor of our Lord Jesus Christ standing at a forge, hammering out the most beautiful swords you ever saw. Unbreakable swords. Or you have to see our Lord Jesus Christ standing there in the forge at blacksmith shop, hammering away at breastplates and helmets that He then gives to us and says, here, put these on. These will protect you in this great battle. But even more specifically, let's look at these things. How does one girt his loins about with the truth? And the answer is by loving and believing that truth. And especially now the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. That one says above all, I seek the truth. I love the truth. The truth means everything to me. When a child of God does that, he is girding his loins with that truth as protection. What does it mean to put on the breastplate of righteousness? And the answer is by believing in that righteousness. By setting aside your own supposed righteousness. By putting no faith at all in your supposed own righteousness. But believing in the righteousness of Christ and saying, that's mine. And that's all I need. That's all I need in the day of battle. That's all I need when I face the great devil in all his fiery darts. Why? Because, well, it's all I need before God. If God sees me as righteous, who can be against me? That's what the Apostle is describing when he says we're more than conquerors. Why? We have the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can affect us then. So the idea is, again, believe in that righteousness. What it is and how it protects us. How does one shod his feet with the preparation of the Gospel? And the answer is by attending the preaching of the Word of God faithfully. By making sure that in your church it is the chief means of grace. And that what is preached is the Gospel of salvation and contains the hope of salvation and gives hope in that preaching. How does one wield the shield of faith? And the answer is by using faith to defend against error. And using faith to destroy the enemy. Well, you say, how do you do that? And the answer is when there's a big, huge problem. Problem created by an enemy. One doesn't run and scatter. But one stands before that enemy like David stood before Goliath. And say, well, with what God has given me, we can stand doesn't matter if we're a small church. It doesn't matter if we're small churches. It doesn't matter if I'm a new convert and I don't know as much as many others. God will give me grace to withstand in the evil day. I believe that and I trust in that. That's the shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation. Why? How? By believing in the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's as simple as saying, all I need is what Jesus provides. His salvation. His salvation and deliverance from sin and death. Doesn't matter then whether my life is being threatened physically or I'm being persecuted or I've lost all my possessions. Doesn't matter. 
I am protected by the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. How does one use or wield the sword of the Word of God? And the answer is, much the same way one wields the shield of faith. They're basically one and the same. Again, by believing. That's how one puts this armor on more specifically. And now why? And here we may be somewhat brief because we considered why earlier. Why? So that you may be able to stand. Stand, therefore, says the Apostle, and therefore have your loins girt, etc. Now we shouldn't overlook that. Here we need to be reminded exactly why this armor is what it is and the weapon is what it is because it's a spiritual battle. It's the history-long battle of the children of the serpent against the children of the woman. It's a battle we saw earlier is a battle of highest stakes. Eternal death and eternal life at stakes are such things as the life and the existence of this entire universe that God has made. Heaven and hell. All of those are at stake. Tremendous spiritual resources being used in this battle of the ages. But it's entirely spiritual. Oh yes, takes place in many ways through physical means. Real people are engaged in it. Real institutions. You see many examples of it in real life events and other such things, but it's essentially a spiritual battle with spiritual enemies and fought with spiritual weapons, and one is protected only by spiritual armor. And here we need to be reminded what we considered earlier too, which is among the enemies is our own sinful nature, which is one reason there's an exhortation, my brothers, put it on. Put it on. Remember who you are. Remember from what you need protecting. And it includes yourself. We are really and truly our own worst enemy in many cases. The idea of the passage here is put it on because there's only one possibility for the child of God, and it's to stand. The child of God doesn't have, as we saw earlier, the luxury of retreating, of fleeing, of falling down and surrendering. To fall in this battle is to fall eternally. It is to die eternally. It is to be lost. That's the urgency with which the Apostle says stand, and therefore stand having put on this whole armor. The idea is there's only one way to stand. Take unto you and use the whole 
armor of God. Don't think for a moment that you can stand on your own. Don't think for a moment that you can stand using your own cunning and your own wisdom and your own devices. Don't think for a moment that you can stand using your own clever arguments and your own words. Don't think for a moment that you can stand failing to believe in the righteousness and the goodness and the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. To answer the question considered earlier, how does one stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might? And the answer is by using and putting on His armor. And the importance is of that, that then the victory is certain. There is not one single child of God. There has not been one church. The church itself will stand. It will not fall. And it cannot fall because it is wearing this armor and this sword. Don't forget, there's a promise here. The one who wears that helmet and wears that breastplate, who has that sword in one hand and that shield strapped onto the other hand, who is wearing those sandals, cannot fall. He will stand. He does stand. Oh, because He's so strong? Oh no. But because of what God has provided, what God has given. And therefore, my brethren, as the Apostle says, stand. Stand having put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord our God, we thank Thee that in this great battle of the ages in which we find ourselves because of our allegiance and our unity to our Lord Jesus Christ, because we belong to His body, that Thou hast provided such glorious and wonderful protective armor and weaponry. We pray, Father, that Thou wilt so equip to all Thy people and give us strength and faith to put it on, and therefore to be able to stand, to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, to fight and to defend ourselves unto the end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.